You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Happy Monday evening to all of you. So glad to be here with you. You're probably going to be hearing my family cook the dinner in the background tonight on the live stream. But I thought it would be fun to hop on and do a quick teaching with y'all tonight. And we're going to be talking about, I've titled the teaching for tonight, Six Biblical Principles for Prosperity. And I think the word prosperity has kind of fallen on some hard times. It's been a term that has been kind of hijacked, I think, by prosperity gospel teachers or word of faith teachers. I know that when Monique, my podcast partner, thinks about the prosperity teacher, she thinks about grandmas being pecked pressure to send their social security checks in to TV preachers in order to get a blessing for abundance. And and that is not what this is about tonight. But I do want to explore some biblical principles to help us prosper. So even though that word prosperity has gotten a little hijacked, I think that there is some biblical truth behind the idea that God has our best purposes in mind. And The Bible lays out some principles to help us prosper in the financial area. And I want to kind of explore six principles from Scripture for that prosperity. And I do believe that God wants his people to prosper. The Bible has a lot to say about money. And so if you're kind of struggling to figure out how to manage your money, This message is especially for you, how to bring God's wisdom and principles to your life and help things go better for you. I think that sometimes many Christian leaders and local church pastors, they have such good intentions of setting up food pantries and clothes distribution, and all of those things are great things to help the poor. Nothing wrong with that. We ought to do that. But we also need to think about how to teach people more longer term life strategies for how to prosper them. So we kind of want to move beyond our good intentions of how to help people, how to prosper people into some real practical, long-term biblical wisdom. And so I hope you'll spend a few minutes with me and, and thinking about these issues and trying to get a vision for your life of moving beyond paycheck to paycheck. We're falling on some really hard times here for many of us. So Maybe this will help inspire you to get to a better place with your money. So let's get into some of God's wisdom to help us prosper. So point number one is work hard. (laughs) This might seem kind of basic, but it is extremely important because hard work is biblical. It is part of God's wisdom for us. And I do hope to develop a separate teaching in the next week or two on laying out kind of a theology of work and in more detail. But for now, I'm just going to make a few comments along these lines. And, you know, work is not a complete cure for poverty. You know, we talked about some stopgap measures a couple minutes ago about food pantries and clothes distributions, and those are all good things. But work should be part of our poverty solution, too. It is definitely a foundational part of God's plan to help for wealth creation. We're going to look at a couple of biblical passages here. Deuteronomy chapter 28 
And verse 12, it says, The Lord will open the heavens and the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. This is, this is a blessing that God gives to his people through the Mosaic law. And we don't necessarily have all of those blessings for us today, but it is under our covenant treaty. But those principles, I think, are one of the things that are repeated under the new covenant, that, that when we work hard, when we work with diligence, we can prosper. Proverbs 24, starting around verse 33, says this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest in poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. In other words, work is part of God's plan to keep us out of poverty. Now, the Proverbs are a great place to go. If you want to learn about money and God's plan for your prosperity with money, go study the Proverbs. There is such practical information there, just practical to your life. Um, you're going to find a lot. And like I said a minute ago, hard work is something that's not just part of the blessing of the old covenant or the Mosaic law. It is also repeated in the new covenant. For example, in second Thessalonians, some of these Christians, they stopped working because they were so busy looking for the second coming that Paul admonishes them here. He says, the one for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive, disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. In other words, they have too much time on their hands. So they are gossiping. If you notice there, if you're not willing to work, you should not eat. It is part of the way that God has set up the way that we are as human persons, that we ought to work. Now, I'm not meaning to imply that if you're poor, that you're lazy. That's not what this is. Many people who work very hard also financially struggle, but we need to consider God's wisdom for how he wants us to prosper. And hard work is part of that. The, the virtue of diligence is another key component of God's prosperity. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 14, it says this hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And in Proverbs 12, it's a couple chapters before that. It says this diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. So, you know, the, the, the issue of hard work and diligence and follow through, these are part of God's plans to help us prosper. And they are a, a foundational and a critical component to us being successful in our lives. Developing a skill is another important component of working hard and diligence. Proverbs 22 says this, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of a low rank. So having a skill is very important. This is a great question to ask ourselves as parents. How are we helping our children develop a skill? They need to be able to um, not just be educated and love God with their minds, but they also need to have a skill so that they can earn a living. Hard work should be sort of a combination of you using your talents that God has given you 
turn that into a skill or combine that into a skill. And again, we're not implying here that low-income people or people in poverty are all lazy. Many of them are not. There's other components that factor into that. But I want to lay a strong foundation here that God really has work, hard work, diligent work, skilled work as part of his plan to help his people prosper. Okay, number two, our second principle for prosperity is to stay out or get out of debt. This is another very important principle because debt can steal away our hard work. So it can, it can drain us of all that we do in number one when we work hard, but then we find ourselves still living paycheck to paycheck sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it can be as a result of crippling debt. Proverbs 22 says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. This imagery is very powerful of a, of a slave-master relationship when borrowing money is in the mix. And so if we're going to live according to God's principles of prosperity, we want to stay out of debt. We don't want to go to payday loan places. We don't want to be frequenting uh, pawn shop loans. We don't want to be getting into a lot of credit card debt. If, if you need a plan to help you get out of debt... Uh, based on biblical principles, you want to get some support and a, a plan on how to do that. You can have an opportunity to practice diligence. Uh, like we talked about earlier, go find a Financial Peace University group near you. You can go to the Dave Ramsey website and you can type in your zip code and you find a group near you. You can buy the kit and you can access all of these wonderful tools to help give you a plan. So maybe you're like, wow, I didn't even know that God had a plan to prosper me that included getting out of debt or not getting in debt. How do I get out of debt? So here's a, a very practical plan to help you do that. We have some past shows that Monique and I have done on financial issues. You can go check out those resources, but I want to encourage you like, Hey, if, if you've gotten into debt or maybe you didn't even know what God's word has to say about debt, that's okay. Like, let's just make a plan to start getting out of debt. Okay, number three, the third principle of God's plans to prosper us financially is that of develop a habit of saving. Saving is such an important discipline. It is a way of practicing that trait of diligence. And, you know, when we're kids, it's, you know, get a little bit of money. We want to run down to the store and buy toys. But when we're adults, sometimes we, we haven't had anyone teach us about how we ought to engage in a plan of savings. And savings is a biblical idea. Proverbs chapter 10 says this, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son. But he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. We want to be one who plans ahead, who gathers during the summertime what they're going to need for the wintertime. We want to save up and plan ahead. So, you know, saving is interesting. It's a, it's a pattern and it's a plan that you have intentionality toward your money. You are ruling your money. Your money is not ruling you. 
So if you find yourself in kind of an adversarial relationship with your money, you know, think about it. Am I saving? Am I in debt? You know, am I living according to God's plans for my prosperity? But if you want to get to financial freedom, saving is a big part of that. Now in low income communities, it would be awesome if some of the larger churches in low income communities might consider how they can help supplement banking services for their community. Low-income communities are often extremely underserved in terms of they have trouble accessing banking privileges and they have to go cash checks at liquor stores and it costs uh, costs a high fee and sometimes they, they fall into debt and they fall into patterns of payday loans and, and, and pawn shops and that sort of thing. But if some churches that service low-income communities might get a vision of how they could help build financial literacy in those communities, including helping them maybe with some basic banking services, that would be great because those communities often struggle. And those of us who are living out in the suburbs or not in low-income areas don't even know how difficult it is for some of those peoples to access basic banking services. Another question we could ask ourselves along these lines about saving is how are we as parents encouraging our children to begin to build a practice or a habit of saving? Are we teaching them a routine of saving a certain amount of their income, tithing a certain amount of their income? These are aspects of holy living. And if we're going to help our children prosper, according to God's principles and how he's designed the world to work best. And according to godly wisdom, we want to help them learn how to save. Okay. Number four, God's fourth plan for prosperity is invest and build wealth. We want to live with the next generation in mind. This is multi-generational thinking is very important. And this is kind of the next step after saving is we want to think about our children. We want to plan for the future. It says this in Proverbs chapter 13, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. In other words, a godly person thinks multi-generationally. They think about their grandchildren and what they are going to provide for them. I know for for me and our family, we directly benefit from my grandparents' savings, which translated to my mother's savings, which has translated to helping us pay for tuition for our children to go to Christian schools. These are things that my grandparents did, my children's great-grandparents did, thinking multi-generationally, thinking for the future in mind. And I'm so grateful that I learned this principle, but they learned it from the Bible and they were not wealthy people. They were hardworking people. My grandfather worked for a dollar a day digging ditches during the depression. These were not affluent people who were born into money. These were just hardworking people. My grandfather was a church planter. He was in, in ministry most of his adult life, but they planned with the future in mind. So that's a question to be asking yourself is, What decisions am I making today that will help to benefit my children and grandchildren? Another aspect here to think about is what could I do um, to be an entrepreneur? 
um, often that is a way of expanding our income. And we live in a wonderful country where there's a lot of opportunities for entrepreneurship, even in times of, of difficulty right now. The great thing about entrepreneurship is seeing an opportunity, seeing a need, even at a time like this, thinking creatively, what could be done? And we have a great deal of economic freedom in the, in the U.S. Um, and so we want to think about how can I think multi-generationally? What could I build for my children? And, and thinking creatively about how we can, we can build that wealth and, and really take advantage of living in such a great nation. So a question to ask ourselves along these lines is, how are we encouraging our children to be entrepreneurs? I think that's a really great question and one that we don't often think about. How do we, are we having conversations with kids about entrepreneurship? If you are a pastor in a low income community and you want to talk about uh, poverty solutions, are you sponsoring classes at your church in wealth building in entrepreneurship for the adults and for the kids to help them kind of get introduced to the idea of having a creative vision for their life, how to think multi-generationally and think about not the, all the limitations that surround them in their community, but how they can think creatively and maybe start to build a small business and begin to build wealth for their families, for their children and for their grandchildren. You know, when we think about wealth building, like sometimes that has kind of a negative connotation. People think that, well, the only way to build wealth is to lie to people and cheat and to steal. But definitely we don't want to, as God's people, to be engaging in lying, cheating, stealing. That's not God's best for us either. So, you know, as we're following God's principles for how to live a godly life, we don't break some of the God's laws over here to live up to God's laws over here. So when we're thinking about prosperity, we think about thinking multi-generationally. We don't do it at the expense of lying, cheating, and stealing. We're not going to violate God's laws. We're not going to engage in rigging the system to harm other people. Uh, we want to earn and not just take. Okay, so... When we think about wealth building, we've got to get away from like kind of the negative connotation that that can have and allow our imagination to be shaped by God's law and his words and his principles so that we think about wealth creation in a way that is consistent with God's vision of justice. You know, wealth creation doesn't have to be about exploiting the poor or taking advantage of their situation or charging exorbitant prices. You know, we can create wealth in a way that is loving toward our neighbor, providing a genuine service that they need. We don't have to lie, cheat, and steal in order to engage in multi-generational thinking and, and wealth building. Okay, that brings us to our fifth point, and that is be generous to give to others when God leads. Now, it might sound a little counterintuitive to think like, well, I thought this was a teaching on how to be prosperous, if I'm giving money away, how is that prosperous? But that is, is how God's kingdom works. It, it does sound a little counterintuitive, and there's aspects of God's kingdom that, that are a little bit upside down when we compare them to worldly thinking. 
It says this in in Proverbs chapter 11. It says, a, gen- a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That is such an important principle because remember, as my grandparents used to tell me, it all belongs to the Lord anyways. So if God is bringing prosperity to us, we have to remember it all belongs to him anyways. And we want to be generous because when we are generous with others, it is a reflection of God's generosity toward us. So we want to think about and, and reflect on how can I be generous toward others? And and definitely this, this would include like maybe tithing to your local church. Tithing is just like a foundational place to start of giving to your local church, but also thinking about how you use your other money. Like maybe it's thinking small. Maybe it's how do I support a small business that's owned by a friend? That's a way of directly helping a family in need. And you don't just have to give them money. You can help them have dignity through their work and through their entrepreneurship by maybe purchasing their products, maybe giving to people directly when it, it seems wise. Don't always be looking for, well, I'm only going to give if there's a tax break, if there's something for me. Like, what did we do before there were tax breaks? There's no tax breaks when Jesus was around. It was just give, give. Be generous and give. And so when we are generous with others, God just has a way of multiplying things when we are obedient with our money. So God's plan of prosperity involves being generous with others. Okay, number six is be obedient and trust God to provide for all of your needs. You know, the thing is, that's so interesting to me about money. One of the things is that anyone can turn money into an idol. Even the poor, even the poor can look at money as an idol. There's nothing inherently righteous or more righteous about being poor. And there's nothing inherently less righteous about being rich. The Bible gives us examples of righteous poor people and unrighteous poor people. It gives us examples of righteous rich people and unrighteous rich people. Money is kind of an equal opportunity (laughs) to bring us out of trust with God and, and to turn it into an idol. Matthew 18 has a very interesting parable, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And Peter asks Jesus about forgiveness. How many times should he forgive? And he says, Not seven times, but 77 times, so many times. In other words, be generous with your forgiveness. And notice the parable. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began a settlement and a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And this servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. In other words, this servant was, was poor and wasn't rich, but he got forgiven of a huge debt. And then he turns around and around and goes, finds his, his friend and who owes him a little bit of money. Pay what you owe me. 
And that servant fell on his knees and begged, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And the master finds out about it, calls him in and says, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt that you had because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Oh, that's such a powerful parable. And I think Jesus wants us to, to be generous in our forgiveness. That's certainly the direct point of the passage. But it also, I think, shows us that anyone can make money into an idol. Anybody can. And anyone can deal with their money righteously. And so what we want to do is trust the Lord for all of our needs. First Timothy, for those who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, here, if you want to live like a godly person, here's what you do. You run away from the love of money. Instead, you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So we want to avoid turning money into an idol. Um, In fact, 1 Timothy in chapter 3 says that if you are a lover of money, you are not qualified to manage the household of God. You can't be an elder if you are a lover of money. Now notice the, the, the careful wording of scripture. It's not that money is the problem. It's a heart problem. It's a problem of love. What do we idolize? So rather than loving money, we need to trust God. We don't want to trust money to provide for us more than we trust God. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Oh, that's such important instruction of how we relate to things. We want to trust God, not trust money. So if we're going to prosper, we want to have a proper attitude and relationship with money. The final scripture I think I'm going to leave you with here tonight is from Matthew chapter 6 from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you with little, oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans, that's worldly thinking. Non Christians live like that, think like that. They run after these things. Your heavenly father knows you need these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. So we don't give to get God's blessings. Like, you know, some of the prosperity gospel teachers say, that's not how we relate to money. Rather, we trust God for our provisions. We work hard. We're diligent. We earn a skill. We stay out of debt. We save for the future. We learn multi-generational wealth creation. We're generous. We tithe. And we don't love money. If we want to be prosperous, then we have to have a proper relationship with our money. And finally, what I want to say is that financial chaos is a scheme of the enemy to destroy 
your life. But if we follow God's laws and we teach our children to follow God's laws, things will go better. It might not be a a trouble-free life, but this is how God has set up the world to work. And if we want to obey God in all things, we want to obey him with our money. And again, I want to commend to you to study the Proverbs. There is so much rich wisdom there in the Proverbs for how to live and work and manage your money. So anyways, I hope that this has helped encourage some of you in thinking about prosperity. I wanted to leave us with one more important point to keep in mind. I think that sometimes the error of word faith teachers, prosperity gospel teachers, is kind of what we call in theology an over-realized eschatology. God does have a plan for us to prosper. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to prosper in this creation if we live according to his commands and we obey his laws. But ultimate prosperity won't happen until the new heavens and the new earth. That's where we get rewards for how we lived on earth. For example, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 11, it says, No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is in Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. In other words, what are you using to construct your life? Your, your holy deeds, your holy works. Are you using things that are costly and precious like gold and silver? Or are you constructing your life with wood, hay, and straw? Because when the day of the Lord comes, it'll be brought to light. And when it'll be revealed with fire, the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And if it is built, burned up, the builder will suffer loss. He'll be saved but he'll be one just sort of barely escaping the flames. And so we have to think about what I'm doing now is somehow training for the new creation. It has some connection, some foundation for the new creation. So when God gives me commands about how I ought to order my money, how to live in his principles of prosperity, That's just not like a nice optional extra thing for super spiritual people. That's part of what should be holy living for us as Christians. If we call ourselves Christ followers, then all things should become subject to him, including our money, because it lays some foundation in the new creation. There's references, for example, later in 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, about crowns, that we will receive crowns or rewards in heaven. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. You want to run as if you know you're going to win. You want to win. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Our reward is eternal. So don't run like someone running aimlessly. Don't fight like a boxer who's shadow boxing. You want to fight like you're really in a fight. You want to run like you're really in a race. You want to do your best. You want to bring all of your life into obedience to Christ. 
Okay, so yeah, show up some more references about crowns from the book of Revelation. There's a few of them uh, that we will get a victor's crown. Um, no one will be able to take our crown, that we will be dressed in white and we'll have crowns of gold on our head. Uh, we'll be wearing, we'll lay our crowns before the throne, we'll be given a crown. I mean, there's so many references to crowns. It's, it's really quite amazing. Even um, historically, this, the woman in chapter 12 is the church. And, and that's us, and, and we will wear crowns. And so there's all of these, these, these crowns, and even the beast has crowns. And so there's, there's this idea of, of what is happening here, these, these, these counterfeit crowns that the beast has, and we have the real crowns. It's, it's a pretty interesting study there in the book of Revelation, but this will be our reward, wearing those crowns. If, if we follow God's instructions, if we work for things that are eternal, if we work for with the kingdom of God in mind, and we use these biblical principles, and we follow God's instructions on how to prosper us, we will have a degree of prosperity in this creation, but we will not have ultimate prosperity until the new creation. So we want to live in, in this creation according to biblical principles. And we are so blessed to live in a first world country. Most people in our country can escape poverty in one generation. That's amazing. I think we almost take it for granted, the opportunities that are before us. But we, we, we want to help people. And it takes self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It takes disciplined decisions over time, saving and tithing and and living for the future, thinking with the next generation in mind. But if we follow God's principles, we can truly help the poor to prosper. Poverty doesn't have to destroy us. And again, I want to encourage, if you're a pastor of a church in a, in a low-income area, think about how you can start to build financial literacy in, in your people in your church and in your community maybe sponsoring financial literacy classes, sponsoring classes on entrepreneurship, because we want to bring all things under Jesus's feet. He has defeated death and the devil. And, and now we want to partner with him to bring all things under his feet. As it says in first Corinthians chapter 15, that he, his job right now, he's ruling and reigning and we're, we're with him and that, that as he does, he, he will reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. Now, now death is the last enemy, and it will be put under his feet ultimately. Like right now, he's the first fruit of the resurrection, but ultimately everything will be under his feet. And so we enter into that partnership with him as we preach the gospel. As the gospel goes out and lives are transformed and hearts are changed, we want to bring the principles of God's prosperity to the world and teach them how they can live in the world that God has made. And we are bringing all things to be subject to him so that he will rule and reign. So that is how we do it. Will the world be perfect? No. Are we going to get there in this lifetime? No. But as we partner with the Holy Spirit, as we partner with, with his commands to bring the gospel to everywhere we go, I think the financial literacy should be 
part of that. It's, it, Jesus uses the example of the, the mustard seed, the tiny seed that grows into a big tree, or that the leaven fills the whole loaf of bread. That's what we want to be doing as we spread the kingdom. And part of that kingdom, I think, part of it, an aspect of it that I'm suggesting is bringing God's principles for financial literacy and prosperity everywhere we go. So again, if you're, if you're in a church and they have a, a campaign for a food drive, clothing drive, that's great. Go support that. Those short-term stopgap measures are important and necessary. But maybe also talk to your pastor about sponsoring classes, about how to help people get out of debt, how to, how to educate them, how to think about the future, and how to become entrepreneurs, how to help the next generation get an entrepreneurial vision. This is part of what I think, to use a cultural term, social justice ought to include that we can help people get out of poverty long term. We don't have to just settle for stopgap measures. Thanks for joining me on the live stream tonight. I do hope you have a blessed evening. It's been a great conversation. I hope this has helped you and that you'll share it with a friend and watch for another teaching coming soon about a theology of work where we'll be extending these conversations. Thanks so much for watching. Good night and God bless. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.